0: and we're live. It is Sunday, April eleventh, 2021, <laughs> one p.m. The great suspense uh, of the day was whether Kate was going to make it back in time uh, from Cape Cod to do the show or whether uh, I was going to have to figure out who the mystery guest was without her, which wouldn't have been that hard, uh, given who the mystery guest turns out to be. Kate has made it. About an hour ago, she texted me a picture of herself and Nina, which was a sure sign that she was home. Um, uh, And then the mystery guest, fresh off of an appearance on MSNBC, this is what we call scaling up. You go from from (laughs) Uh, you know, a five-minute, a five-minute hit on a on a third-rate network to an hour hit on a first-rate network is mystery guest Nate Persley, who, um, uh, you know, we are not allowed to have fun anymore. But this is a pretty good surrogate for it, uh, and I guess we're talking Georgia and all that jazz. Is yeah. that what you had in mind, Kate?
1: Yeah. I think that Nate, we had talked about uh, you talking about the census and redistricting, and then talking about that, and then we can talk Georgia. But then I was asking you, and you might not know, but I was asking you why there were people lined up in Brooklyn, uh, in the rain, in like two two city blocks full. And when I asked them why they were there, they were said their answer was the Peruvian election. Well, and I they, have like, am I? Just- is there a
2: consulate? Is there a consulate there in Brooklyn? No. Um- Oh okay i mean cuz you know a, a, it's
1: a very large event space there which it looks uh, like would you think that they were voting
2: well you know if you so P- peru like many latin american countries has uh, compulsory voting and so if if they were expat peruvians and there was you know an embassy or a uh, a consulate there that oh. might be a place where they could vote so that could explain, but maybe there was also a watch party or something. I mean, you know, it's hard for me to know. No, it's not, it's not a watch party because they're
1: all gone now. So, like, yeah. they are not, I don't think it's a watch. I think that it was, I, I think that maybe, maybe that's what it was. Maybe they opened up, because of the pandemic, a different, like, a couple locations or something for maybe. people to kind of spread it out. That might be what it is. Um, but, yeah, anyways, it was just, like, bizarre. And then I was, like, who would know? Some weird, like, some, like, fact about, like, a like an, an election system in a country that I have no idea what the election system well, is. Well, what's
2: happening in Peru is actually kind of interesting, where they suspect, so there is compulsory voting, and the polls show that something around 15% of voters are not going to, they're going to vote for any of the candidates, uh, and so that there's kind of a protest Movement. So how
1: does so how does that work? Is there a fine if you fail to vote? Is that like how, how did, what it, how, what is what is the result? No, compulsory
0: voting is not a compulsory choice. It's compulsory. Oh no no
1: no, by showing up. You yeah.
0: have you have to file a ballot, but you can decline to fill it out. In, no, but at just, least in, in the Australian system. Yeah.
1: I just didn't know. I knew that, but so that's super interesting. I knew that you didn't have to make a choice, but I'm just was curious how. If there's variance in how it's in how compulsory voting is enforced. Yeah, it's basically.
2: usually it's usually a fine. Sometimes it depends on okay. the country. You can get a sort of a, a bad mark on your ID papers. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's usually a fine. One, one of the things the studies on compulsory voting show is that you don't really have to even enforce it for having a huge effect, right? Because even huh. if, well, like in 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 Australia, there's very little enforcement against people who don't show up to vote, but it does have a you know huge effect on turnout. Yeah. So, um, so we can talk if you want to talk Georgia HR one all that kind of stuff. Happy to talk about that, or we can talk about uh, census and redistricting, which is you know I'm kind of out of the frying pan into the fire these days with that. Um, um, or we can talk you know more Facebook stuff if you want. Uh, <laughs> Kate, you, or, or you, no,
1: thank show, you. <laughs> You're shocking.
2: You decide.
1: No, I want to talk about the I want to talk about the census and redistricting because I honestly just like have not been paying attention giant surprise for everyone there i know that i like i'm like in the midst of teaching nine nine credits of classes this semester and i've just have fallen a little behind on um i'm kind of all of this stuff i've been following the stuff in georgia a little bit closer um but yeah so why don't we talk about the census like what's going on like what's the lay of the land what are people what are, what is going on with the redistricting?
2: So we are in kind of uncharted territory, uh, like we are, so often are these days in law and, you know, election law, law and politics that we don't even have the apportionment numbers yet, right? At, every 10 years we would have had, we would have known how many people were counted in the census for each state. We would know how many members of Congress each state would have had by now. Uh, it's going to be about another two weeks, I think. Um, before we know how many people are counted in each state by the census. Um, yeah. And we also don't know, we don't have a good grasp, though, the census has leaked out some numbers on how accurate this census was. And one thing I was very worried about because it was being taken during the pandemic was that you're going to have a, a inaccurate census, particularly what we call a differential undercount, which is, um, you know, particularly Latinos, I thought, would be reluctant to fill out the census form because uh, all of the, what they call the census dress rehearsal was suggesting mm-hmm. that given the immigration and you know, the climate and everything that Trump was doing, that, um, that there'd be a large you know, number of Latinos who wouldn't end up filling out the census form. So that, that remains to be seen whether, whether that happened. But so, so there's gonna be several things, like all of this is unprecedented, has never happened before at this schedule. The first thing that's gonna happen is in the next few weeks, we'll get the numbers of uh, people per state. Someone, once a state will, su- right now, there are three lawsuits regarding the census numbers from different states, Alabama, Ohio, uh, that have, have sued. And then one, whichever state is on the losing edge of a, um, when it comes to the census, is also going to sue. Like the one state and that just, would have got- and,
0: and just to be clear, I assume what you mean by on the losing end is, having lost population relative to other states which has implications for the number of representatives that each state gets is that right a-
2: it doesn't even mean that they need to have lost population it just means they were next in line to get the next member of congress right because those last two states you know they will be separated by a few thousand people it always mm-hmm. turns out that way so then if you're you're the next one in line you say, for example, as Utah did in 2000 when they said they, they thought they got uh, short shrift, they first said, look, you miscounted Mormon missionaries that are living abroad. And if you counted them the right way, then Utah would have more uh, greater population than we would get the congressman that now has gone to North Carolina. Or they said, look, you've done this statistical method called uh, hot-deck imputation this led to a Supreme court case called Utah versus Evans. And if you didn't use that statistical method, well then we would have gotten that member of Congress. And so there's a lot of things right now that people can, um, that states could argue about that that uh, with with this census. Now we, you know, they generally will lose because there's only so much that the courts are gonna do. Uh, but if there's a kind of clear mistake that the census has, uh, has committed, then there, there might be something that happens. But that's just on the, apportionment side, right? The number of people per state. Then we have a problem, which is that, you know, as you guys know, I, you know, draw maps for for lots of different states or have historically. Um, by this time, 10 years ago, I would have had what's known as the PL94171 data file, which is basically the data, not just of the states, but of each neighborhood. So you would have known. Right. Who it, it's, how the, it.
0: it's the data file that the uh states use for for re- uh for for redistricting, purposes. for
2: redistricting right so every neighborhood you would know how many people were there how, what voting age what and broken down by race and ethnicity and so you could start in the next month starting to draw maps that data will not be available actually until september which is you know a pretty uh late <laughs> delivery of this um, so there are states like Virginia and New Jersey that ordinarily would have redrawn districts in the next month because they have they have elections in 2021 and they are not going to be able to do that. They're going to have to use the old lines. Um, and so now what you're going to see uh, is people are going to coming up with sort of these um, different statistical estimates uh, that, that people are going to try to use over the next few months. But then the census will release its file. There's in one version in August, and then the final file in September. Um, and so, some of the places I'm working with, and I, you know, I, right now I've got some cities that I'm doing redistricting for counties. Um, that's like too late for them constitutionally to get their lines done, right? So they, this is requiring across the, just a lot of legal change around the country, and it's extremely disruptive. So that's just on the on the timing side, which is which is a real problem then we don't even then there's there's gonna the census has done something different this year than they have historically which is they are deliberately inserting errors at the block level um and that's to protect privacy so when i do redistricting it's you know it's sort of like playing a game of tetris where you're putting little blocks of color together and then it you know eventually hits a magic number and, and you have a district um the way the sense because our ability to kind of use data sets and and to try to figure out the identities of people has advanced so quickly in the last ten years that now the census is using what's known as differential privacy to inject error at the block level. This is also something I mean, Kate, you know from the work I did, did with Facebook yeah. that that this is something that Facebook uses in order to protect the privacy when it produces some uh, data set of its users. And so that's totally uncharted constitutional territory. That they're, I mean, generally speaking, the standard is you know the census data um, has to be you, you, you relied upon. But now the state of Alabama is suing to try to not allow them to add this error for differential privacy. And you know now to comes sort of full circle to the things you know Kate and I w- worry about on the disinformation front. You have this kind of perfect storm of um, you know bureaucratic. Uh, control over data um with conspiracy theories about what ha- is happening in the census um and you know sort of statistical um methods that most people don't understand that are going to be used to describe what's happening to the population at a time when people are you know very concerned about um, insider manipulation of politics to begin with so that's that is another sort of aspect of this that remains to be seen that we'll we'll see in uh, late summer early fall.
0: So what are uh, assuming that we do not have federal legislation in time to affect this process? Yeah, which I think is a not certainty, but a reasonable assumption. What is the? What are the states that either had radical yeah. redistricting um, uh, abuses? in 10 years ago that have a reasonable process in place now or that are ripe for abuses this time that they didn't have in in 2010 and therefore that we can expect significant changes either because abuses will happen that haven't in the past or that haven't happened in the past that, or that have happened in the past that won't happen now.
2: So the 2010 elections, which were the Tea Party elections, right, where, where as Barack Obama said, you know, the Democrats got shellacked, were so important because Republicans gained unified control of most of the battleground states at the time. So right. Michi- Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, pen uh, Wisconsin, Florida, and then Texas, these were all states where you know they had uh, unified control and so had the uh, sort of controlled the pen when it came to redistricting. Right, so um, it can't get much worse in those states. Right well and most many of those states have have democratic governors now. So so um Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania all have democratic governors. Michigan has moved to a kind of commission system, so that that's also a little bit different than last time. North Carolina is still possible because you actually don't need the governor's signature uh, on the redistricting but it's hmm. not a bill there. Florida is is um there's sort of interesting new law, not I mean it, it controlled the last redistricting cycle, but it didn't prevent the gerrymander there so that Florida um, y- you should expect litigation right out of the right out of the uh, sort of first instance there. Um, and then Texas always is going to get sued. And then Georgia, Georgia will you know has uh, Georgia's been in court, I think, for every redistricting since the Voting Rights Act was passed. That's the other thing that's different is that we don't have section five of the Voting Rights Act in operation this time, because after uh, Shelby County versus Holder, right, so you had it last time. This is the first redistricting cycle since the 1960s, which is to say the first redistricting cycle since one person, one vote, um, that that we don't have section five of the Voting Rights Act, where the DOJ would be supervising what's happening in the states.
0: Right, although... Ah, uh, the Voting Rights Act has some very peculiar impacts on redistricting, um, which are not always what one would expect, right? And
2: if- be sure. I mean, we and we can talk about how, you know majority minority districts work. But the the key feature here is that there's no federal um body that can slow down the process like it t- could ten years ago, where you could have people in the DOJ. That if it's if they saw a plan that had a discriminatory purpose or effect, that they could slow it down. Now there's always been, you know, since the '90s and the and the uh, takeover by the Republicans of the House of Representatives, there's always been a debate about the kind of costs and benefits of drawing more majority-minority districts and how that how that shakes down. And in fact, one of the interesting things that you've seen in the last ten years, as you sort to of think of changes in the intercensus years, is that. Um, most of the kind of civil rights pro-minority lawsuits that have come out in the last 10 years have been against packing, right? So that they've right. been trying to say, look, you over-concentrated African-Americans and Latinos in these districts. Whereas you go back 20 years, right? 30 years when I you know, started doing this and um, it was the other way around, right? So the DOJ is forcing the construction of sometimes 65% minority districts. Um, and and now you have civil rights plaintiffs going in and saying, look this 51% uh, African-American district district. When I was appointed to be special master um, in the the North Carolina case, whatever it is, three years ago, it was to unpack uh, some of the districts that the court ruled were overly concentrated.
1: I know we have a very sophisticated audience, but because I'm, again, nine credits of teaching and 70 one L students. I will just point out to those who don't know that the special master is someone appointed by the court to be a neutral kind of uh, a neutral kind of decision maker that will kind of like be be like between the parties that are that are having the conflict and kind of oversee an administrative proceeding and create um, and a
0: factual record
1: exactly and create a factual record like a rapporteur. Can I, can,
0: can I also say uh, just for uh, viewers who don't know packing is a term of art in this context that refers to drawing lines in a way of in the way of concentrating a large group of the voters that you don't think are going to support you into a single district. So in other words if you're a republican legislature and you know that 90% of the african american community votes democratic and you can create a 70% African-American district, you have concentrated a very large number of voters that in other contexts may cause your people to lose elections. In a single district, they're going to elect some, you know, uh, Maxine Waters kind of politician, uh, or, you know, uh, but the rest of the state is going to have many fewer African-American voters. So there's a there's a, it, it, it's a, it's a term that refers to the concentration of, uh, of voters that you do not think are going to vote for you in as few districts as possible.
1: Is it, I mean, so you could basically, if you're gonna use it in a sentence, would you say that you gerrymander district lines to create packing?
2: So, so here's, when what, what I- teach Or is there the,
1: a difference between, is gerrymandering like a separate, I mean, I, I didn't actually, I knew these two things, but I've, I've actually never put been precise about it, kind of used it colloquially.
2: So gerry- gerrymandering is the active drawing lines for political or other advantage, right? So right. it's just also to go back to first principles. Named for Elbridge Gerry.
0: Yes, right. The fir- so, the third I did not vice, know that. The third vice president of the United States. Actually, I, I, I don't know. This
1: is, this, is all, this is great. I did not know <laughs> that. Is it true, then.
0: Yeah named oh. and he drew a district in Massachusetts
2: that looked like a salamander. Right. I, am I able to sh- actually am I able to share my screen? Yeah. yeah.
1: So go go above your go go hover your mouse above your face and then you'll see um you'll see a share screen button uh that and it's in next to the HD button and the gear. Um, and by right the way, a, a
0: lineal descendant of Elbridge is the uh, uh a very fine Lawyer who I believe now works for Boeing, whose name is Brett Gary.
2: and uh, this Brett is tremendous. Is, Are you able yeah. to see this?
1: Oh, Justin, love it. Oh,
2: well, the, well, this is this is just, this is a very famous um, you know picture.
1: Yeah, of, I've, seen, I've seen. So this is the original.
2: This was literally the 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 where the word gerrymander came from, which is that there was a journalist who was looking at the what was this was the. The map of actually, you, you would be familiar with this area in Northern Massachusetts, Kate, yeah. um, where the, the Senate map for, for Massachusetts had these different districts here. And, and this red district was seen as uh, you know, uh, there was one journalist at, a, at a, a local paper who looked at it and said, "Hey, do you know that looks like a salamander." And the guy next to him said, "No, no, it looks like a gerrymander." And so they drew this political cartoon of all the towns in northern Massachusetts. And I so never learned things.
1: that. Oh my yeah. god! I'm like, you're blowing my mind. Now I need to audit your. I should just audit your
2: election <laughs> law yeah, Talk about putting up some videos on this. There's, there's got to be uh, just to. I, I think
1: you should do, do. I
2: think you should do some some
0: lawfare lectures on this. That, that would be fun. fun. Uh, yeah. That be
1: so yeah. fun. Check check yeah. out the one we and did I with can Paul play the role Rosenzweig. Of a stupid law student. Check <laughs> out the one we did with
0: Paul Rosenzweig the other day on cybersecurity metrics. We should uh, we should do like. You know, history of history of election law. Well, yeah. it's
1: kind of it's like the the Section Two Hundred and Thirty series I did, and yeah. with the Yale ISP. And then you know, do you know how many people I talk to, like reporters, or like I've watched that entire series on Lawfare before they like call me. I'm like, thank God, this is so much better than you not having watched that and calling me. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, this is great. So, so anyway,
2: the the if you look at so this was you know, the way that they were uh, packing and cracking the anti-federalists in in, um, in Massachusetts. But you go, you know, sort of if you look at the famous cases in dealing with with racial gerrymandering, Gamillion versus Lightfoot, the famous case out of Tuskegee, where they took what was a square city and then turned it into this yellow figure to excise all the African-Americans from Tuskegee, right?
1: No, and so so this, that, this graphic I've seen, I'm familiar yeah. with this. I didn't know that the gerrymander that it that that's where the origins i just i really just didn't know that and just
2: just so you so the the strategies right for gerrymandering are packing cracking stacking and kidnapping so as ben said right you can pack your opponents into as few districts as possible possible or you could spread them among as many as possible so here are the districts in 1966 in mississippi the proposed districts where what they did instead of drawing a majority african-american district along the delta Right. They drew these five districts each with this one, 34 percent black, this one, 44 percent, 44, 20, 39, in order to dilute the uh, impact of uh, African-American voting. Now, the one I'll I'll just say, you know, uh, just so I have this up there. So when I was appointed to do the Georgia redistricting in like 2003 or so, one of the real challenges is that you, you know, it. Because of residential segregation, sometimes it's really hard not to pack, right? If you draw, so if you draw inside Atlanta districts like this, these will be 90% African American districts. Yeah. If, if you draw districts on the outside like this, mm-hmm. right, it'll be about 30% African American. And depending on which whites you're putting in with African Americans, you're going to end up, you know, some of these are Republican or Democrat. That's right. There are places, if you know Buckhead and those areas, which are much more liberal, not as big a deal. And so there is always this kind of Goldilocks question in redistricting about sort of how much, you know, how much packing, how much uh, cracking uh, one allows. And I'll just say just one, one last thing on this, which is the famous districts from Shaw versus Reno, the cases that dealt with majority minority districts, these sort of strangely shaped, shaped uh, districts from Georgia, Florida, Louisiana. Here are the ones from Texas.
1: Why do you have ugly? On there, like you're just like making the point that they like, that they look, they're they're not very plausibly.
2: When I teach this, there's a question about whether compactness is, a lack of compactness is constitutionally suspect. Because here's what Justice O'Connor says in Shaw versus Reno. She says, look, we believe that reapportionment is one area in which appearances do matter. A reapportionment plan that includes in one district individuals who belong to the same race but who are otherwise widely separated by geographical and political boundaries uh, bears an uncomfortable resemblance to political apartheid. I right? remember that district uh,
0: well. That's the one that followed the highway for like 150 miles, and it's like half a mile on yeah. either side of the highway. So, just
1: just to give a light moment of context, is like I teach redlining and and like exc- I'm teaching the exclusionary zoning this week, right? And so like, this is just kind of like, so what it, what, it, what it is to say is like, I know that all of these ideas exist, but I actually didn't know the mechanics of them for electoral politics, the way I know them for housing and other types of like, um, other types of things, but they, they do line up. There is a lot of overlap.
2: Well, that's why, so like a million, it's a little bit different, right? They were literally excising African-Americans from the city. Here, you've got the over-concentration, right? And, and, and as Ben was saying before, pursuant to DOJ enforcement of the Voting Rights Act, those strange districts were drawn. Um, and that one went down, the Shaw district went down I-85. And so then the question is, well, well the Supreme Court then says that is presumptively unconstitutional, hmm. right? And then that there's an interest. Now, well, I can tell you that line that I read from Justice O'Connor about it bearing resemblance of political apartheid. You can imagine how NAACP LDF felt about that, you know, because uh, at the time and I, I was you know, involved in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s with 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 some of this. And it's like you know, these were districts. Remember, some of these districts. Facilitated the first election of African Americans in many of these states, right? Because you had white Democrats who, because of incumbency advantages up through the 1990s, were able to continue to win. Uh, and so a lot of them ended up losing. You ended up um, with with more African American Latino districts, uh, but you know there are political consequences to that as well. And and um, you know many of those Dixiecrats would have been would have lost or converted parties anyway at some point over the 90s and and 2000s but but so that but, but that that line of cases has always had at the time been seen as kind of anti-civil rights kind of cases now they're being used as i was mentioning before by civil rights plaintiffs to come in and say look you are over concentrating african-americans in, the, in particular districts, and to the detriment of african-americans and so uh you need to spread out the population a bit more so so, to go back to the
0: my original question, what are the states where you're expecting things to look better than ten years ago? And what are the states, you know, either because there are commissions now, a la Michigan, or that there's more political diversity, um and therefore one party doesn't have the uh, you know all of the power to impose his will. And what are the states like? I imagine Virginia must be one where you've gone from essentially all Republican control to all Democrat control. Um, I imagine you're going to have a bunch of Virginia Republicans redistricted out of seats. Um,
2: They've gone in the direction of a commission, though.
0: So, I see.
2: So it, it, oh. it, it, it may, be, I, I can't remember the specifics as to how much power the commission has there, but at least in the first instance, um, there's going to be something that resembles a nonpartisan act. I mean, I think that there's the possibility that the governor and the uh, legislature can overturn it, but I, I'm not sure. That's also true in New York, where New York, I was I was involved in um, the New York redistricting. I was appointed uh, 10 years ago to do that. And you're the and one we, that
1: stole Louise Slaughter from me. <laughs> I think you might've been. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I think, I think... Well. <laughs>
2: That's a really interesting... I actually have the the map. I have it up in my office here, the the original one. Yeah, but, you know, Louise Slaughter's district before that contained part of Rochester, part of Northern Buffalo, and then had a thin line that went up through Niagara Falls and all the way through Northwestern New York. It was one of the most gerrymandered districts in the country. And so then after after the court plan that I was involved in, then she basically had a Rochester-based district, you know? And so, it was,
1: yeah, it was, yeah. Um,
2: But, but, so going back to the states, Ben, the the, you've got, um, so one thing we should also say is, this is, the Democrats do this too, they just don't have control as often as the Republicans have. So, Illinois, for for those of us who
0: know Maryland politics, um, you know, uh, it is, you know, Gerrymandering is not the is not the sole province
2: of Republicans. It is the province of parties in power. And so Illinois and Maryland were the Democratic gerrymanders last time. Uh, and the Maryland case actually went to the Supreme Court alongside the others that, that were in the Rucho case, that the Supreme Court decided wasn't going to get involved in partisan gerrymandering. So um, uh, and Maryland also is is establishing a commission. Again, I think it's advisory, but the governor has it. Um, and so we'll see what, what comes out of that. But also, Maryland has divided politics now.
0: It has a right. Republican so governor. So governor you're, the, it the has a system. solidly Democratic legislature. You're going to have a reasonable process in Maryland.
2: Yeah. yeah well, well, yeah, I assume so. I mean, there's always the possibility of overturning or whatever, but but I don't know overturning a veto. But uh, uh, but I think that that's right. Um, because Maryland had some really crazy districts last time, um, the ones that just went from the east. and then And so on the Republican side... Uh, Michigan is going to be uh, – mi- so Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania should probably be less likely to have, you know, partisan gerrymanders than they did 10 years ago. I was involved in the Pennsylvania case, m- the most recent one, where I was appointed, and that obviously was very politically controversial. Um, um, and so the existing districts are nine Democrat, nine Republican there and we'll see what the legislature tries to do. And that may lead to the courts getting involved there. But I I would keep my eye on in terms of areas where Republicans can make gains through gerrymandering. um, You've got the possibility of Ohio. Ohio also is gonna have a a legislative commission, I believe for the state legislature. Then you've got Florida where they've got some strict constitutional requirements, but Florida is gonna gain like two or three states. Texas, two, two or three districts. Texas is going to gain, I think, three or more districts. So that's that's the area where you would see it. Georgia will gain, I think, at least one, um, and so and North Carolina will probably gain one. And that so those are the states that I would be uh, looking at. And then the ones where you know in the Northeast and Midwest, which are going to lose districts, um, because the question is who's going to be on the chopping block.
1: So I have a to take this to a slightly jokier, not uh, to. And now that this has not been educational. But like, you know how you use, you could like, you go to carnivals and there'll be that guy that like, like looks at you and guesses your weight. And if you like, it gets wrong, they will like, is this like, if you're like on a plane next to a stranger and they tell you that they're from like, 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 from like a county in a certain place, right. can you like tell them their entire district history and everything about them?
2: So, so uh, th- 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 this provokes a story that you, I don't think I've ever told publicly <laughs> that you're going to love. So, you know, and, and it involves some some interesting characters in the redistricting lore. You may have heard of Tom Hoffler, who was the guy in North Carolina who died, and his hard drives ended up. He was the Republican redistricting consultant there. Yeah, I I And his
0: daughter turns them over to the ACLU it, in, some, a, in a fabulous act of familial betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you're a Republican.
1: Straight up Mary Trump shit. Yeah, I know. You're the district,
0: in There's litigation that's you have a that's bad go relationship on, with funny. your daughter. And she's like, how can I get revenge on dad for all those years? And she says, I know. I'm going to give his hard drive to the ACLU. Yeah.
2: Oh, and this is a story for the listeners. I mean, it's really um an incredibly dramatic, almost like, you know, thriller kind of story, what's happened here. Um, but so I was at a National Conference of State Legislatures meeting with Tom Hoffler, Ben Ginsburg, and several others, gave some talks there.
1: Oh, I and love they had ben. The What'd you say? Sorry. I'm sorry, I just I re- I like Ben. You knew yes. that already yeah. though. No, sorry, and I just and- like <laughs>
2: and they had the Republican redistricting map. So it was the RNC redistricting map they were giving out to Republicans there. And I said to Tom Hoffler, I'm like, can I please have one of these cool maps that look like some of the stuff behind me? He's like, no, no, no. I was like, please, I won't share it with anyone. He said, fine. So I took the Republican redistricting map for the country and I'm on a plane going back to, I was teaching at Columbia at the time. I'm on a plane back to Columbia and who do I see on my plane but Mitch McConnell, okay? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I have got to go up to him. By
0: the way, I have gotten on a lot of planes over the years. Mitch McConnell never been on one
2: of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mitch, Mitch McConnell was, was in. Mitch he was, was sitting back in coach, you know where I was. And I said, Senator McConnell, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to autograph my Republican <laughs> redistricting map. <laughs> I said, Will you please sign right above the elephant? Right here, and and so I have an autographed Republican redistricting map from Mitch McConnell uh, from that time. So that is awesome.
3: That, is, yeah. no, that it is was like that was drawn thing.
2: by Hoffler. Yeah, right. It was, <laughs> it was like you know, it's That is it, a it, really it's unique. Certainly piece of election nerd lore, but but that's you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, um, that's like that's amazing. Uh, oh my gosh, that reminds me, well, I won't, I told the story already, but my dad has, you know, the 1986, game six of the 1986 World Series where the Red Sox lost to the Mets and Bill Buckner went under his legs. My dad is a huge Red Sox fan. It was like a tragic day for him. Anyways, he ended up getting Bill Buckner's signature on a ball when he came through to kind of do a signing and then started, and then like, oh no, I had gotten Bob Stanley's signature as a pitcher. Uh, signature on a ball when I was a Brown, cause he came and did an event at Brown. And so then I'd given it to my dad for Christmas. My dad got it signed by Buckner and then decided he was going to get it signed by every single person who had touched the ball as a, like Mookie Wilson and like everything oh, else wow. who, Like went through. And so he got like, he got all of the, he got, he has every single person on the ball. And the only other ball my dad has is all three DiMaggio brothers
2: on wow. one, on like
1: oh, one ball. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's worth something. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like, well, I mean, two of them sucked, but one of them was really good. You might have heard of them. (laughs) I know. Uh, But yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's um, those are. I'm my I've made uh careful plans. I was like, so, mom and dad, you're putting the ball the the ball in a in a trust, right? For Alex and I to argue over. Like, I know. Hi, Daniel.
0: Daniel just materialized on screen with a question. Great.
2: Um, so I guess I'm going to switch the subject to the Georgia election law. And I'm wondering which provisos of the Georgia election law are, do you think are most vulnerable to successful legal challenge given the composition of today's courts? So I actually think that this, this U.S. Supreme Court would uphold the Georgia law. Um, the, the hard part is, you know, if the Georgia law is struck down, it'll be struck down because of racially discriminatory purpose and racially discriminatory impact on, under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And so the, the the provisions that would be vulnerable would be the, maybe the ban on drop boxes, or not the ban, the regulation of drop boxes, the um, the rules with respect to absentee voting and the like. Here's the problem, which is that um, for every subsection of the Georgia law, there is another state that has that provision as well. So so you take something like the addition of voter ID, like um, for absentee voting, that you have to put your Social Security number, last four digits Social Security number, your driver's license number. That's what Minnesota does, and Minnesota is not seen as like this incredibly vote suppressive state. Now, um, and, and so in order to get at this, right, you have to say, well, it's going to have a discriminatory effect in, in, uh, in Georgia, or it's got a discriminatory purpose. Um, one thing to keep an eye on is the case out of Arizona that the Supreme Court is deciding this term, the Brnovich case, which is a Section 2 Voting Rights Act case.
1: Did you sign an Amici in that? I did not. No, no. Exactly. I,
2: I try because I get appointed by the you know, courts in these, in these things. I, I try to, at least on the Voting Rights Act stuff. I mean, I did, I did in um, the Shelby County case and the earlier ones, but, uh, you know, for the upcoming cycle, I'm, I'm going to try to stay out of litigation. But if you look at that Section 2 case that's gone, going up to Supreme Court, we will get a sense from the Supreme Court in the next few months how they would receive something like the Georgia law.
0: So um, I have a question about the Georgia law, which is, you know, the the law is clearly badly intended right it's a response to voter turnout it's a uh it's a you know the legislature is shocked to discover that you know people are voting uh, apropos of the rules that it's set up to deal with COVID, and also just absentee ballot, a a generally pretty liberal voting regime with respect to absentee ballot rules. Um, That said, the most objectionable provisions of the law were removed. And the it's not clear to me what the reasonable expectations of the law as passed going into effect would be on voter turnout. Um, I'm curious for your kind of gestalt assessment of that. Is this a situation where the bark was worse than the bite and the bite puts Georgia kind of in the median pack nationwide about things like, you know, they're still pretty actually progressive on things like early voting relative to a bunch of other states? Uh, Or is this a situation in which They've cleverly made the thing seem a lot less radical oh. than the effect would actually be, and this is a you know a surgical scalpel strike against african American voting how How do you understand it at the end of the day?
2: So you may have seen uh, earlier this week that Nate Cohn had a piece on this uh, about the Georgia law and how it would affect turnout, and he was savaged on Twitter as as a result um let me let me say this, which is that it is very difficult at the front end to assess whether any of these individual interventions are going to have an impact on turnout in general or on African-American turnout in particular. Um, they, the, 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 so that's the first thing to say. Second is, is to repeat what you said, which is that they are all built on addressing the big lie, which is that they right. are all motivated by addressing fraud that did not happen in Georgia and it's even the governor who now signed the law who was the one who said that there was no fraud in the 2020 election. And so, there, the, you know, one of the reasons you might have an easier time maybe proving discriminatory purpose here is that there really is no good reason to pass these restrictions because, um, uh, you know, the mail ballots were actually all ballots in Georgia were counted three times right in this last election. And so there's yeah, no, but you're there's not no... going to get.
0: But but as you point out, the current court's going to look at this, yeah. and it is going to accept as a non-discriminatory purpose that there was there were many people who believed mm-hmm. that the the election was corrupted, and the Georgia legislature was responding to the perception of a lack of election security in a kind of prophylactic way. Uh, and so the record, the relevant record, is not the record of actual fraud. It's the record of people believing there was a problem.
2: Yeah, right? and, and, and I think the court buys that, don't you? Well, you know, Justice Thomas, in fact, wrote that down, right? In in it literally said that in a kind of dissent from the the denial of cert or, de, or the mooting of a case out of Pennsylvania, where he basically said, "Yeah, there's a lack of confidence here that's caused by these different chains." So, yes. You know, that that is true, um, that there's no evidence, by the way, and I've done some studies on this. There's no evidence that any of these measures will actually change people's perceptions of the electoral system. It's not like they will become more confident. So, for example, states with voter ID laws don't have populations that are more confident in the election infrastructure than states that don't have voter ID laws. Remember, this is this is pretty you know insider baseball kind of stuff yeah. in terms of the, the technicalities on this. Um, but but just to go to the to the crux of the issue that you were suggesting, I don't think these this law will have much of an effect on a presidential election because when people are motivated to vote and when there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of money and mobilization, I think that that you that you will have people who will figure out a way to vote whether it's early in person absentee or something else. I am worried about the midterms and off year elections. I was and just going to
1: say that. I, that seems much because, more the concern. You know,
2: if you're if you're deciding, sh- you know, should I go, you know, to to you know to get my absentee ballot or should I not? Right, you know, the marginal voters might be like, ah, well, it's it's just like the burdens exceed the benefits here. In addition, the most significant thing and why I see the Georgia law more as a kind of like loaded gun waiting to go off as opposed to one that's already been fired, is that. Um, the, the way they are reshuffling authority between the counties and the state government and, and how they the legislature now has taken away the role that the Secretary of State played in the election and the election board and replaced it with someone that the legislature appoints suggests to me that in a close election, like the one we just had, that you where there's a fight between Fulton County in particular and Georgia government on the other, that at the state level that they could put a thumb on the scales. And that, by the way, that fight between the states and the more liberal cities we're seeing around the country. So Texas now has a series of bills that, as far as I can tell, are really just targeting Houston and and Harris County, because Harris County did all kinds of interesting things in this last election. They had lots more ballot drop boxes that they tried to put out. They had drive-through voting. They had 24-hour voting, right, that they tried to do. All of these are now in the new Texas bill um, subject to restriction at the state level. So you see this kind of Attempt by the states to to, um, to clamp down on what are you know largely minority, largely democratic cities. Mary, you
0: are a black rectangle, but your mic is on and the floor is yours.
1: Great, thank you. Um, thank you all so much for this show. Um, I'm in a late time zone, so I'm not really in in daytime appearance. Um, my question. Ellie Honig is just starting to promote his book about Bill Barr. Is it jaw-dropping that a prosecutor has to expose the harms done to the rule of law by the former AG in print, rather than having Barr be pursued by legal process? Is Barr in any legal jeopardy, or has he kept his hands clean
0: So this is a, a very interesting uh, so I would just say this is not an election law question. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say it was a if or Kate has thoughts on it, uh, uh, they're welcome <laughs> to uh, jump in. But I I'll just say um I will be interested to see what Ellie alleges about Barr. But um I think most of what Barr did is not remotely uh, in the land of the uh, legally actionable, it's in the land of the uh, gross uh, improper management of the Justice Department and what I would call abuse of prosecutorial discretion. But these are not, by the way mostly abuse of prosecutorial discretion on the side of leniency toward favored plaint uh favored defendants for example dropping cases against uh you know uh 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 mike flynn that you would never drop against a normal criminal defendant right uh uh filing a a, a brief a sentencing brief in roger stone that de- the Roger Stone case that departs from all of the normal Justice Department behaviors. Um, these are uh, terrible things for the leader of the Justice Department to do. Uh, they are in no sense that I'm aware of criminal or you know, sort of misconduct as we normally understand it. Rather they're uh, things that we, Think of as violative in the of the norms of the department and the the expected behavior of the attorney general. So I I mean Ellie is a serious guy and I will be very I haven't read his book and I'll be very curious to read what what his suggestion is that Barr sort of did something actionably wrong rather than just kind of wrong. Um, but I think the judgment of Bill Barr is going to be in history. I think he's going to go down. And I say this as somebody who was encouraged by his nomination and, and uh, I, I, we were never close or anything, but I, I, you know, always thought highly of him as a, as a person and, and uh, and he's very smart guy. Um, And um, I think the judgment of him will be as one of the worst attorney generals of this, well, the worst attorney general of this period of history. You have to go back, uh, you really have to go back to John Mitchell and people who really were criminals before you have anybody who uh, had a bigger negative impact on the Justice Department than Bill Barr. But I don't see it as a as a, I see it as the, the sort of thing you deal with through criticism of the sort, like writing a book, is a good way to do it, rather than than through, you know, action on uh, legal action of one sort or another.
1: I have a uh, question: What is Alberto Gonzalez doing these days? Do you know?
0: alberto gonzalez who uh is, is,
1: does he have a linkedin page that i can look at <laughs> um so he
0: was uh associated with a university in texas yeah, for right. a
1: while right. um
2: SMU or something yeah i can't remember which one right yeah. or
1: something okay so he uh, like and, went in okay and he's um i didn't know if he went to be a partner at a firm or something no That's, i think he, was, he
0: may have had a, sort of an of counsel relationship with one yeah. firm or another but um look alberto gonzalez is up there among the uh, lousy attorney generals. Um, right, I just
1: didn't want to leave him out.
0: Um, so. He's not in Bill Barr's league. No, no, um, no. He's I know. Barr's-
2: Do you think there would be any prosecutions, leave aside what happened on January 6th, but any prosecutions of anyone in the Trump administration by this Justice Department? I, I get asked this question sometimes. And I think that basically, just know, knowing who Merrick Garland and Joe Biden are, that there's just this incredible impulse to move on, um, mm-hmm. and that uh, that there really isn't likelihood to see you know additional pros- any prosecutions, though though one could have imagined a situation where there would have been. Um, so I, so first
0: of all, I think that Biden, I would hope that Biden's involvement in this question was limited to the choice of Merrick Garland. Yeah. That is if you're Joe Biden and you want a wise prudent individual making the decisions and you don't want to be involved in the decisions yourself as he shouldn't be, you call up Merrick Garland and you say, "Hey, would you come off the bench and you ask him to do it and then you got to leave the decisions to him." I agree with you that Merrick Garland is somebody who will have a a vibrant sense of the uh, of the downsides of bringing cases that other people will be enthusiastic about that said i do think there are some cases that bubble up through the system that when the facts are all in they're just appalling and the the Matt Gates situation is like he's not a trump administration official mm-hmm. exactly but you know like there is the, okay, but what about if they're transporting 17-year-olds over state lines for immoral purposes, right? You know, and that wasn't one that we thought we were going to be dealing with. I also think the, um, uh, you know, that there's, there are residual cases from the Southern District that they're going to have to decide how to think about. And I I Look, I don't know how any of it shakes out at the end of the day. I do agree with you that there's no way the Justice Department brings a case against senior Trump administration officials without a good, long discussion in the Attorney General's conference room about the consequences of you know, prosecuting your political predecessors. And by the way, I think that's great. I think we should have that conversation before we go after any of these motherfuckers who I would otherwise love to see gone after, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's good that vindictive people like me are
2: not the ones who are making the decisions. Um, well, I think you're right that that, that seeing what's going to happen in New York, also seeing what happens in Georgia, seeing what happens with the Trump um, uh, you know the 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 money issues, whether it's a hotel or otherwise. You know that 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 I'm actually somewhat surprised we haven't seen more out of New York at, by this point. I thought we would have seen a little more, um, but that's just Wait, on the president. Albany
1: side. or out of out of Albany? Like when you
2: when you said yeah, you, you well mean, yeah. yeah yeah. Well, I am the side I mean, you've, you've got the you've got the foundation issues. You've got the the uh, other commercial issues, um, and we'll we'll see we'll see what Look, happens. I, I
0: I think if Trump if Trump personally has a problem uh, from a criminal law perspective, I would think uh, uh, the Manhattan DA is his biggest problem right now. And, you know, um, also the Fulton County DA, who actually seems like a pretty serious woman um, and who's got tapes. Um, So I, I think he's got state law problems that frankly are in areas I don't know anything about. But do I think it's likely that the Justice Department is gonna is is gonna prosecute him? No. Do I think it is impossible that you know the Justice Department surprised everybody by filing a case against Steve Bannon for you know for grifting <laughs> and there could be ten of those surprise cases me and, involving you know uh, involving a bunch of people. So I I don't I I don't want to say it's not going to happen because but I but I don't think it's I I wouldn't put even money on it either. Let's huh. Eric Berg joining from Idaho. The floor is yours even though you are still invisible. There you are. I'm visible now. You're visible. Um yeah. So why is the narrative on Georgia focused on, you know, giving water in lines and the hours of elections and everything else? And not, you know, to be frank, the election stealing parts of removing the secretary of states from the board, making it so the legislator can take, uh, you know, take control from the counties. I'm I'm out in county politics in Idaho and I can tell you that is the part I would be concerned of has happened in my county.
2: Yeah, and I think your your impulse is the right one, which is that that's what we need to focus on there, as well as in, in some of these other states. Um, I, I think the the story about water and food to voters in line is just such a um, easy soundbite that has been able to tag that law to just show its irrationality and and cruelty, and so people have focused on that, even though there are other states that have rules like that, um, and it's not so clear that that in particular is going to have a problem, cause, cause particular problems for voters. I will say that the more difficult that the state of Georgia makes it to cast an absentee ballot, the more voters are then going to shift to the other voting options, whether it's early voting or polling place voting. And so Fulton County in particular has a history with these long lines. And so um, you know, it is true that people are going to be willing to wait for hours on end, but, but you know, part of what these laws are doing is just making it a little more cumbersome, a little more punishing, a little more difficult uh, to engage in, in the kind of polling place voting that, that they historically would want to see. Um, But yes, I do think this reorganization of authority, the, the reason that people don't focus on it as much is because it's not as clear um, what its impact is going to be. It's only going to be when, when they push the button, right, to sort of take authority away from the local counties that will see the impact of it.
0: Richard Wattenbarger, you get the last question this evening and I just want to point out that Kate has now responded, retaliated to our Bruckner fight by uh, having a Bill Buckner story uh, <laughs> every day. So it's just one, you know, one. Le- just drop the R and you go from our mania to Kate's mania.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, that-
1: Oh my God, will you shut up, Brooks? <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I have a, my question is really about uh, future legislation. And, um, uh, pertaining to gerrymandering and the drawing of districts. I, I know that we have the mathematics now to to describe a district that's going to be representative, but not in, in a wacky sort of shape. Um, and I'm wondering, first first of all, how foolproof, uh, if, if that were to be written, first of all, could that be written into legislation? And if it were, how foolproof would it be? In other words, um, how, how much luck would, how many lawsuits over the calculation would be um, uh, forestalled by that and um, and also I, I guess hanging off of that is that something that would have to be um, passed at the federal I mean at the state level or could that actually uh, would actually be constitutional to have federal legislation uh, to that effect?
2: So right now HR1 or S1 the, the federal legislation dealing with voting has gerrymandering provisions in it Mm -hmm. forcing the establishment of commissions but then also criteria Mm -hmm. about compactness political subdivision lines and the like Mm -hmm. so there are some states that do have some kinds of quasi-mathematical restrictions one of the things you realize when you get involved in this is that the focus on shapes is actually a little bit of a distraction that mm-hmm. we tend to this is sort of like what we were talking about before with the sound bites, which is that mm-hmm. you know everybody looks at the shapes and they figure out right, if they if it looks strange, well then there's something nefarious that's going on. Right. Um, but that you can you with square districts you can gerrymander. In fact, Republicans mm-hmm. in particular are able to gerrymander with square districts because of the over concentration and natural segregation of Democrats in cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so you you know you, there's only so much one can do. Through say mathematical restrictions on uh, describing compactness and like, and when I when I'm a special master or something, I put in all of those measures, and there's all series of measures like comparing a you know the, the shape of a district to a circle or a square or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, and and so there's you know compactness is a is a value in redistricting, but it's one value. Among many, and we need to make sure that you know those other values of like avoiding and bias and having competition and, uh, and and respecting communities of interest are in there as well. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and and the legislation legal. legislation is it's there's state state legislation that's regulated this, yeah. and then the federal legislation is also a possibility. So I guess there are strange strange shapes though, are
3: smelly, aren't they? You know, you see a strange shape and you think, hmm, that doesn't,
0: that doesn't pass the smell test. Although I, although I will say in defense of strange yeah. shapes, sometimes strange shapes result from, because certain areas are much more population dense than oh, yeah. others. And if districts have to be the same size and yeah. population, they're going to be radically different sizes in 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 ge- geographic shape
3: yeah i guess I'm, I'm just referring to when the alarm bells go off like right. oh we should really take a look at this this looks strange is This is okay right.
1: well i think that's yeah. o'connor that's o'connor's kind of ugliness kind of mm-hmm. like signaling right like it's like that if there's this weird serpent shape but to your point nate i think that that's exactly right that there's not like a consistent like that, that, like you can you can manage to gerrymander just fine if you slice things into slivers or into like into like into certain size squares or like whatever else, or like to control where the line is. I like, I'm just thinking of like eight mile road in Detroit. Like, you could have a nice straight line that's perfectly discriminatory, <laughs> like that is right along the eight mile road. So, like, I mean, so that I teach that for housing purposes, but like you could just do, I mean, you could. Teach the same thing for gerrymandering.
2: Yes, and I'll say, you know, when I first did New York, for example, we did one of the districts was was followed a subway route because you might think that, you know, subways in New York subway lines are kind of good definition of communities in ways that, you know, suppose if you join the Upper East Side and Upper West Side of Manhattan, which is always a proposal that's on the table, right? we get there's huge numbers of people who protest because they're like we're completely different than those people over there right you know and i remember having a hearing where someone came in and said and so the the upper west side district historically went all the way what jerry nadler used to call the nathans de Zabars district right it would yep. go all the way <laughs> i love that i never Neabars heard
1: that. and all charlie way wrangle's district was charlie, uh, charlie oh, wrangle's district was all over the place <laughs> Where does this well, voice come from, and why is it episode three hundred and eighty and you're just showing us your Charlie Wrangle I, I,
0: I can do <laughs> Charlie Wrangle and I can do Swam Thurmond, and those are the only two I can do <laughs> <laughs>
1: didn't he, he keep this John Thurman. You can just keep
0: I'll that. Do, no, <laughs> Charlie Wrangle next to each other. There was a time when I could do all the, me- right after the Anita Hill hearings, <laughs> I could do reasonably well all of the members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, it's
1: a good party trick that would I could do. no parties. I could do, no I could do, <laughs> I could do
0: the questions that Howell Heflin asked Anita Hill for a while. <laughs> oh
1: my God. Oh my God. Um, yeah, no, that that's a great point, though, Nate. It's like one of the things, of course, that I love about New York is that like you can go from the Upper East Side to like Chinatown on the same line, and like it's just like into like the Lower East Side and to these Village and Union Square, and then like all the way up to like Spanish Harlem, like all all on one line. And like, wow, is that a, like are those some different neighborhoods? And so like yeah, and so like there's, well, yeah, you know, they're again
2: they're different. So I. Th- Contra that, I once when I was appointed to New Georgia, drew a district in northern Georgia, Georgia that was a perfect square. It looked like you know Montana or something. And there was a mountain range that went right down the middle of the district. So the only way you could get from one side of the district to the other is if you went outside the district, right? And so shapes are descriptive of something, but they just don't quite they, they don't by themselves suggest a kind of redistricting principle that has like well, philosophical legitimacy
1: well it's like i don't know it's like a very it's a very architectural it's actually it kind of reminds me of in the tech space like the larry lessig kind of arguments about the four constraint the four that the four constraints on like on an individual like market law uh market law norms and 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 like architecture and like but like architecture is like a huge way of how we draw lines because like it turns out rivers are hard to cross mountain ranges are hard to cross like And, you know, you know, but also if you have some huge top down land grab process that you like Institute federally, you're going to get square districts, Uh, you know, so like it's um, I don't know. Anyways, we have to wrap Uh, it is, uh, it is uh, been, this has been amazing. I've learned a ton. I'm not joking about sitting in on your, I mean, I'd probably make you nervous or something, but maybe I'll, but like, if you did something for a law fair, I would watch those times twenty. Like, I want to hear everything about what you have in all of those slides. So, thank you so much for coming on and being my mystery guest today. Sure. You. <laughs> Great to
0: and let's talk about doing some some. Sure. No, I've been
2: thinking about doing something on the redistricting front, almost like a MOOC kind of thing, just on each, just to teach people a little bit about what they're about to confront because there's going to be a lot of coverage and also disinformation and acrimony come to fall. Well,
1: like section 230, there it ends up becoming this incredibly misunderstood political question. And some of it is politics, but some of it is really not politics and separating out like what is from what isn't is really important. And you have a great perch to be doing that from and like, you have the voice to kind of make that. Well, just
2: just as a prelude to that, I will do this year what I did 10 years ago, which is I'm going to teach my students how to redistrict, and we're going to put up the maps at drawcongress.org. It's right now that website's not active, but uh, also, if there are people who want to draw maps that, um, you know, there are a lot of public interest websites that now facilitate that.
1: There are some really, there are some actually, like, sorry, I will actually maybe put you in touch with some really like kind of niche and weird internet groups that are into cartography and modern cartography. Yeah. And I would like, I would love to help you do that. That would be great. We will be back 23 hour, right? 23,
0: right? 23. Right. Well, it's twi- actually, right. No, 20, because we're coming, oh, no, 6 no, o'clock 20. tomorrow.
1: 20, oh, you're right. Twenty-four
0: out. Uh, no, it's actually 20, twenty-three because it's no, usually twenty-two. Oh, I didn't.
1: Oh, I didn't. So you, you were right. But accidentally, you were on to me, Ben. <laughs> My bad math. I'm so tired. I like got no sleep last night. Uh, twenty-three hours and fifty-three minutes from now. Um, and. Just for people who are interested, just as like a like a kind of dorky plug, I am hosting a, um, I am hosting a talk. I will be moderating it It'll just be a and A one on one with my former Second Circuit Judge uh, Richard Wesley, uh, with part of the St. John's and the National, uh, or sorry, not the National, the New York City um, Historical Society, that is going to be talking about technology in the courts and how technology has change the courts um, and that will be at 7 30 so 30 minutes after in lieu of fun i will post about it in my twitter page um if you want any i can't believe i said twitter page that makes me sound like i'm like 43.
0: (laughs) can i just point out that if if you were 43 you would still be eight years younger than i am So, like, what a hardship that would be. That
1: I have to take my wins right and get them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and next, time, next time I'm on, I will tell the story, not the McConnell story, but the time I was actually with Charlie Wrangle in a Donald Trump hotel. But I will leave that hanging for next time. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> about that.
0: I want to hear that story. <laughs> but I will tell the story tomorrow of the time in 1994 at Janet Reno's Christmas party when I saw Strom Thurmond confront Eric Holder, who was then the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia. Really? All
2: right.
1: Oh, that sounds like, we'll we'll have you on soon, Nate, because I want to hear
2: both of those stories. good to see you all. We will
0: see you tomorrow. And remember, until then, we don't have fun anymore but you guys are saddled with both my fight with Richard over Bruckner and Kate's serial telling of the Bill I've Buckner.
1: i told it twice. I told uh, it twice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I
0: want to say you won with 83%, 84% of the vote found the Bruckner more tedious <laughs> than Bill Buckner. And I want to say, I agree. That's because I hate Anton Bruckner. Um, it is more tedious. You're all right in the audience. If you voted for for. Bill Buckner, you're
3: wrong.